everyone, Tim Wright here along with Dr. Michael Gurian. We are back for another episode of the Wonder of Parenting podcast, a brain science approach to parenting. And uh, really excited to have you with us today. This is, I think, going to be a, a fun podcast. They're always fun. Uh, but we're going to do something a little different today. We don't have an agenda other than for Tim Wright, your host, to pick Michael's brain and um, to just ask, what, what's Michael thinking about? What's he concerned about? What's on his mind right now? And uh, so we're going to dig into that here in just a little bit. Um, we were just saying before we started, we're, we're using this new platform where we can see each other and how different that is. And uh, I said, yeah, I have to look like I'm interested now. You, it, Michael has no idea. Uh, beforehand, I've, you know, doing six or seven emails at a time and, and then every, oh, he's quiet. I better ask a question. So can't do that anymore. And, uh, not that I ever did always pay attention. And I can't pick my nose anymore. No, no, you sure can't. Uh, well you can, because we're not showing the videos yet, but who knows? Uh, so Michael, tell us a little bit about the Ford school. Okay. The Ford school, one of our, our wonderful sponsors, Ford school is in Tennessee and it's residential treatment for boys 14 to 17. Um, they're, they're boy friendly. I've been consulting with them for a year now. I was just out there recently. Um, a wonderful place, wonderful people, great facility, state of the art on, on short-term residential treatment for boys 14 to 17. So if anyone knows a boy who is having significant issues, um, go to wonderofparenting.com, check out the Forge School link there. Also want to mention, uh, as always, our good friends up in the Seattle area, Dr. Greg Jantz and um, uh, the Center of Place of Hope. Uh, it's Everett, Washington. Is that right, Michael? Is that where Edmonds, they are? Edmonds. 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 I knew it was an it's, E. It's just south of Everett and just north of Seattle. Got it. And uh, Greg does, does such important work. Mm -hmm. And uh, I encourage you, even if you don't ever feel like you need long-term support and care, just checking out his books, Greg Jantz, J-A-N-T-Z, and it's Greg, G-R-E-G-G. -G. But if you go to the Center Place of Hope, which you can find through wonderofparenting.com, uh, you'll find all of his books. And we've said this over and over again. He writes a book a year, and mm -hmm. uh, it's always spot-on stuff, good research, good practical help. And we think that you would find uh, their stuff really valuable. Also want to encourage you, if you haven't done so yet, to go to Facebook and do a quick search of Wonder of Parenting and uh, join the group. It's a closed group. That means it's a private group. And uh, the only way in is if I allow you in, which I will do uh, if you want to join. And great conversations happening there. Parents are asking questions all the time. We pick up some of those questions, not all of them, but some of them. So if you're ever looking for a, a place to just hang out with some other parents, like-minded parents, I uh, encourage you uh, to check that out. Now, we are uh, today. We're going to focus a little bit on uh, Gurian's mind, the mind of Michael Gurian, <laughs> and um, you know it's been such interesting days, especially these last eighteen months. Not only COVID, but certainly issues around gender, sex, hmm. uh, male female stuff, um, and uh, a lot of energy, both positive and negative, around all of those issues. So, when you're looking at the world through the Gurian lens. What are what are some of the things right now that you're thinking about, some of the things you're passionate about, or maybe even some of the things that you're concerned about, wherever you want to start? Mm. Yeah, you have posed this question to me, and like 20 things come to my mind, so I, I'm sifting through them. You know, We'll go one a minute. Uh, we'll go one a minute. There you go. Uh, well, 
one thing of interest to, to me is is you know you and I are go- are working together on these helping boys thrive summits. Yep. Uh, we just did one a, a, a few weeks ago. We're going to Santa Fe to do one with 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 Marion Hill. Um, and what I've noticed is that I'm asked to do my talks are now helping boys thrive in a post COVID world. Helping hmm. boys, you know, it used to be my my talk was helping boys thrive. You know, and I would put a lot under that talk and do a lot. And now they're requesting helping boys thrive in a post-COVID world. And I think that's symbolic of, oh, and when I speak on girls as well, I mean, you know, right. in a post-COVID world. So it's symbolic of the, of, you know, what you mentioned that we've been in a, we've been in a certain kind of trauma, uh, collective trauma for uh, 18 months at least. And we, we do need to start seeing it as post-trauma. We do need to si- start seeing it as post-COVID. Uh, I do. I definitely do. I, I, as I've mentioned before, believe that COVID is now endemic and uh, in the U.S. It's still a pandemic in other places, but I'm treating it as endemic in the U.S., meaning that... You want to explain what endemic means for you? Yeah, it means or it's never us? going away. It's always going to okay. happen. It's like, it's like the flu. Uh, it'll always happen. Uh, we will need to get vaccinated um, probably once a year. Um, I, I, you know, probably once a year, depending on mm-hmm. how this variants go or whatever happens with that. But I would think six months to every every six to twelve months, we will get a vaccination, and that will do, that vaccination will do what it is doing right now, which is it's cutting it cuts down the your chance of being hospitalized or, or seriously ill or dying. If you're vaccinated, if you're not vaccinated, then, you know, you're, you have a higher chance of being hospitalized, dying, or being seriously ill from COVID. So uh, endemic is it's with us all the time. It's going to be with us all the time. Vaccinations work and that's, and we go back to living our lives. Um, And so I am seeing it as a post COVID world in that way. And so um, we, we do have to get back to, uh, get back to or move forward to what are the core issues, you know, and, and the trauma itself is a core issue for both boys and girls, the trauma they've been through. And it's a core issue for the parents too. And we have to approach that trauma. I'll stay with our kids here for a moment. We have to approach the trauma with our, our kids in, in both ways that we always have to approach trauma. One is I'm hearing your trauma. I'm processing it with you. I'm helping you through your trauma. And then the other is, and I'm helping you compartmentalize your trauma because now, you know, we must do this, right? Now we must do these projects. We must do this work. We must do this growth. Uh, you know, you you must grow up. Uh, you have to use the trauma as part of your maturation. And um, uh, in the, and so when I'm talking to folks, you know, I, uh, telling stories is really, really important. I think that's one of the most practical and wonderful things adults can do to help their kids to mature, you know, is to tell their stories. And um, when you and I, you and I are about the same age, when you and I were growing up, Vietnam was a significant trauma, significant. Uh, I, I hear people say, well, you know, there's nothing like this has ever happened, you know, to kids, but I don't think people are remembering. I won't say, but, you know, this was COVID is very significant. And, um, we were constantly under stress. My father was protesting the war. My mother was protesting the war, getting arrested, and then getting arrested for helping the 
uh, my dad was a professor helping the draft, the kids not go to Vietnam who didn't want to go to Vietnam. And then he was arrested for that. And, and just, and we're constantly marching. And then the deaths that came over the TV. I mean, we just would, you remember that that was the first war that was televised and it was, it was significant. And, and our culture was in trauma, you know, I mean, half of our culture was going one way, the other half, the other way. And it was a war. And so, um, People have been through trauma before. Kids have been through trauma before. And um, I just, I guess what I'm asking parents and everyone to do now is to help kids voice their trauma and um, move them toward, you know, service, move them toward maturity, move them to resilience and compel them toward resilient action again. Um, now that, of course, we're not on lockdown and things can are opened up again. Uh, I think that resilience is something I think about a lot. And I, I worry uh, that our culture has lost sight of the importance of resilience and maturation mm. for kids, you know, in our attempt to do something that's a good thing, which is to hear what they feel, you know, I mean, and our adults are doing the same thing. We all are listening to what each other feels, you know, and okay, you feel something. I got to be here for what you feel. And that's all very true, but it can't stop the maturation. So I would say maturation and resilience is a big thing I'm thinking about. Uh, it's, it's interesting to listen to you talk about that. Of course, having grown up uh, like you did now, my parents weren't out protesting or anything, but certainly watching on the news and the assassination of John Kennedy and, and, uh, the, the riots that came King. during the Martin Luther King, John F. Yep. Kennedy, yep. uh, the riots that happened around the democratic convention in 68, hmm. uh, all of those things. But, but you kind of listen back to the stories of world war two and how traumatic that was. Mm-hmm. And they handled the trauma a bit differently. That was more, rather than talking about feelings and so on, you get the sense that it was just, let's roll up our sleeves and let's get through this. And the downside was a lot of them rolled up their sleeves and got through it and then didn't deal sort of with the emotional stuff. I almost hear you saying, I don't want to put words in your mouth, that we're spending so much time listening to the emotional stuff that maybe we need to spend a little bit of time just rolling up our sleeves and building some resilience. Yeah, I I think it's I think it is fair. I think that we are an emotion centered culture now and we should be a resilience centered culture. Um, Mm. Dealing with emotions should be in service of resilience. Mm. Um, It it, being emotion centered in the language I'm using, being emotion centered is if I have heard what your emotions are, I've done my job. Because and you, if you have voiced your emotions, you've done your job, you know, mm-hmm. because we're emotion centered. So, OK, the the emotions are what life is really about. What are you feeling? That's what life is really about. I want to know. Um, I would argue that the feelings and the emotions ultimately need to serve uh, like in ch- children's lives need to serve maturation. They need to serve resilience development. They need to serve the development of adulthood. And um, so I am, you know, as a mental health counselor, I'm obviously very prone to want to help people to, to speak their feelings. And Mm -hmm. so I'm not, I'm not in any way saying, Oh, let's not do that. No, no, it's not that it's that we want the emotions to serve resilience. And that's really the direction I would go. And if parents are parenting kids and somewhere they have been told, I mean, I do think about this because I, I know I've met some parents like this who, who for them, it's about making their kids comfortable all the mm-hmm. time, just right, making sure right. their kids are comfortable. You know, my kids yeah. always have to be comfortable. And yeah. uh, you, you sent me an article. I think it was today. You sent me an article about playgrounds in Germany, 
mm-hmm. um, right? Where where there's the last five years or so, they're making the playgrounds higher risk now because yep. they want they've they've understood that this is not good for kids. You know, to always be saying, "I want you to be comfortable," and I don't want any of your emotions. You know, I don't want you to feel any pain or anger or sadness or anything. You know, um, or fear. Uh, I got to make it all work for you. And I don't, I think that's too emotion centered. And um, it means that kids, you know, don't take risks. They don't develop resilience. They don't mature as well. They're not as independent later. They're not as good parents. They're not as good lovers and, you know, husbands and wives and all that Mm -hmm. because they haven't matured. So I love that, you know, that Germany uh, or these schools in Germany are saying, no, we're not doing that anymore. You go out and you get hurt if you get hurt. And you take risks because that's how kids mature. Yeah. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings. From premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts, start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. This podcast is sponsored by Skylight Frame. Mother's Day is almost here. What are you getting her? Something that shows you care. Something that makes her feel loved. Something that won't stress you out. Something like the Skylight Frame. The Skylight Frame is the perfect gift. It's a touchscreen photo frame your whole family can upload photos to from wherever they are in the world. It's a way to share with her all the moments that matter. It sets up in seconds. You can even make sure that it's already loaded with photos when your mom opens her Mother's Day gift. And her Skylight Frame can hold thousands of the treasured photos you share. It's an easy, heartfelt way for mom to stay connected with those who matter most. It really is the perfect gift. Now, as a special Mother's Day offer for our listeners, Get 15% off your purchase of a Skylight Frame when you go to skylightframe.com slash easy. That's S-K-Y-L-I-G-H-T-F-R-A-M-E dot com slash easy. Get 15% off your Mother's Day purchase now at skylightframe.com slash easy. Uh, it, it made me think about the um, the controversies we were having just several years ago. It was, it was really about the time that uh, Donald Trump was running for president the first time. And we heard about these safe places. Mm. And college students uh, having such emotional trauma over listening to someone who had an idea that was different than theirs. And then they would have to escape to a safe place. And there, there was not seemingly the mental resilience or maturity to be able to engage with ideas other than their own. And I think that's part of what you're talking about is this uh, being able to recognize our emotions, being able to recognize other people's opinions, and yet be centered in who we are and tough enough to be willing to learn or tough enough to stand our, uh, on our beliefs when, when they're challenged. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. That I have never been for that. You know, you know, I've yep. never been for the, the, uh, and I'm, and I, as we have discussed, I'm a, an, I'm a, um, survivor of both sexual abuse as a child mm-hmm. ch- and child abuse. I score seven on aces out of 10. So, you know, obviously significant trauma. We've talked about it. I've written about it. So I would should be the one, you know, who would say, oh, you know, I need the safe space. So you can't bring those things up because, you know, but I'm not an emotion centered. Right. I'm a Mm. resilience centered uh, Mm. social thinker, social philosopher. So so I think it's unhealthy. uh, And you're you're saying the same thing. I'm repeating what you're saying. It's not I I'll take it even further and say it is unhealthy for the development of a young person 
to um, try to pressure a system that's set up to build resilience in that young person, but to pressure that system to stop building resilience. Mm. In fact, to say, okay, you know, you had a feeling that was uncomfortable for you and now you can sue us, you know, because we didn't do our job. You had this feeling and we didn't do our job. We didn't protect you from your feeling. And that's not how feelings work. And that's right. definitely not how communities should work. Um, we we want to stop abuse. And what what happened with the safe spaces is it, those people knew it who were pushing for those safe spaces. And so they used the word abuse. So what they did is they said, all of these things are abusive. So when, right. uh, let's see, I'm trying to remember one. I mean, lo- long ago, I not long ago, a number of years ago, I used to go to colleges and and um, I haven't been to a college in a few years. And I, I personally have stopped trying to go to colleges to speak because I know that my, you know, I'm arguing about that, that, that sex and gender are not the same thing and that male, female, everyone's male and female, and there's gender nonconforming and trans, right? And so that argument in academic setting, um, even though it's scientific and most of the academics know that that is true, uh, can't do that, right? Because mm-hmm. then the people protest and you get heckled and all that. And so... So, um, I've kind of like, okay, I'm not even going to go into that realm anymore, but I have colleagues, you and I know Warren Farrell, for instance, a brilliant guy, you know, I have colleagues who are still going in there. They're so brave, you know, and, and, uh, they're still getting hit with this stuff and they know, they know that what they're saying is not abuse, but the way it gets leveraged so that the kids can sue the school or can make the school fire someone and all that. It gets leveraged by them saying, well, that was abuse. And the reason it was abuse is I had this feeling, you yeah. know, and people like me who who came from so many years of abuse, you know, I just, I just look at these people and I say, you are trivializing mm. what violence is. You're trivializing what abuse is and, and setting, you know, yourself and the culture up for failure in my opinion. Yeah. Boy, that's strong stuff. I love this resilience thinking versus emotion thinking, or however you put it. I, I, that's emotion really centered versus yeah. resilience centered. Yeah, that's really strong. That's really strong. Uh, what else are you thinking about? Well, um, other big things I'm thinking about are are the screen time and um, the, the you know COVID's had an effect on it. We've discussed that and. I think about it, you know, every day I'm answering a question probably every day and everywhere I go, people are asking me, what was the effect of the 18 months on screens? Uh, one of one, you know, what were, we all know a lot of those are, are negative effects. And then a, a question following along that is, okay, so now how do I get my kid off screens? Right. And, um, you know, and the, the answer to that is you simply have to do it. You know, you simply have to say, we're not doing screens for a month and get them back to socializing and doing life uh, in a, in a more human way and humane way. And the exception would be obviously if the school needs them to be on a screen to do an assignment, that would be the exception, but, but trying it. And then, you know, and so what they'll come back and say, it's too much. I can't do that. Okay. So I'll say, all right, but then at least, you know, you take the smartphone away, no smartphone for a month. Cause that's three hours. That'll take them. Now they've got three hours a day, you know, that they got to go find something else to do. That's going to be better for their brains. It's going to be better for their emotions, you know? And, and we have to remember when I say, emotion-centered versus resilience-centered, I see emotions as very important, but coming under, you know, maturation and resilience development. And that's part of what happens when we get them off the screens. What we see is other emotions can come through uh, and we can work with those emotions 
But those those emotions that are very important to their development are not coming through when they're just focused on the you know the screen and what they're getting the constant instant gratification of you know going back and forth and then the spending all the time on YouTube and uh, the kind of the stuff that's coming in from YouTube uh, you know for these younger kids getting them off most of it for a month a lot of them then say I don't want to go back on okay right. <laughs> I like that. I, I'm a much better, a much better kid. I'm much happier, you know? And, um, so, so screen time, social media, really big deal and, and big deal for both boys and girls. And right now I'm going to just focus on girls. I mean, you know, I really think about this a lot because one of the, the problems that, that girls at a baseline have anyway, that they're always trying to work through is the rumination loops that we've talked about mm. where they just, you know, they, they, so many, when we do scans of brains experiencing emotion, the male brain, males, two parts of the brain light up, you know, for the same emotion that they experience, nine parts of the female brain light up, right? So females are just having much more emotional input and processing. And, and so they get in these rumination loops that become depression, that become anxiety. And the increase, the increase in suicide, depression, anxiety for everyone right now, you know, COVID and post-COVID is really significant. The mental health of children and adults is perhaps the biggest thing going on that we have to focus on in our country mm -hmm. is mental health, you know, in a way. Um, and then underneath that is, is um, uh, girls and, and this anxiety and depression. And part of it is they're in these rumination loops and they're fed, uh, as are all our rumination loops, all human beings fed by social media and by Instagram and by their looking at their own body, through the lens mm -hmm. of the camera and then being dissatisfied and ruminating on that and then, and making decisions and choices they shouldn't make. And, um, so I'm, uh, you know, when I divide it into boy girl, I can make arguments for also for cutting out social media in the development of kids, uh, especially, you know, younger kids, um, into middle teens. I can make that argument. I think I can prove it. And I just beg parents to, you know, take it seriously and just mm -hmm. say, okay, not doing it for a month. Well, Facebook proved it for you, right? The, 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 oh, all the stuff coming out right oh, now. Oh, yeah. So Facebook knew this, that that it was particularly harmful to girls and their oh, self-image. Yeah. Oh, man. Those those algorithms, people may not realize how dangerous that stuff is um, because it's just messing with your brain. Yeah. And if you think of children, it's messing with the way the dopamine works in their brain. And when you mess with that, you mess the brain up mm. and the, you have permanent consequences. Uh, so yeah, I, I'm, I'm glad that that whistleblower and all that came out. Um, you know, mm -hmm. I'm, I'm not anti Facebook or something. I, I I'm really, I'm not anti any of these things. It's the, it's that we have to be aware of the effect they have and we must protect our children. Yeah. My, uh, I, I've mentioned many times this podcast that my uh, son and his, and his wife are homeschooling their three kids and our oldest granddaughter's 12. Um, and, um, you know, for a while they were really isolated. Uh, and part of that had to do with my son's job. They all made a commitment because they were some uh, immunocompromised family members. So they really were very, very careful. Uh, and Clover now has this new best friend, and she's so excited about her new best friend, and uh, so, who's also homeschooled. And so Jan and I went over the other day, and it just so happens Clover's riding on her bike home with her new best friend. And her new best friend has a phone. And her new best friend was on her phone constantly just reading texts from people and telling Clover what they're saying. And I thought, oh, can you guys just go outside and play? You know, can you get off of that phone? Uh, and you're right, how addictive it becomes so quickly 
at that age. And then it just begins to rob them of childhood. It robs them of, you know, those things that are really healthy for them. And maturation. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah a 12 year old should not have a smartphone. Yeah. You know, I'm just going to say it in this podcast. I've yeah. made the case in books and I've, I mean, it's a well-proven case. Uh, 12 year old brain uh, should not have a smartphone. Yep. It's just, yep. it just does all those things you're talking about and more to that brain. Yeah. And I know that you've said it's okay to give them something uh, so that parents know where they are if they want to do that. Clover's got one of these kids' watches so their parents know where they are and she can just send a quick text. But that's it. Yeah. Mom and dad and grandma and grandpa have access to that. That's it. Yeah, that's not the smartphone, yeah. Um, I also know that you have been uh, engaged lately, and we've just done a podcast on this, but it's been on your mind lately. You have an interesting word for the day that we're in when it comes to discussions about sex and gender that has to do with exceptions. So uh, oh, just give us okay. a little bit of your thinking, and then you can refer people to your your blog series, four, four blog uh, posts on this. Uh, again, we've talked about it, but it's so interesting the way that you're framing this. Okay, yeah, yes, thank you. Um, so if folks go to gurianinstitute.com to the news page, you're going to see four blogs came out all in a row. Took me like six months to write them. I mean, they mm -hmm. were like writing a book, so they're substantial. So people yep. need to set up a little time to read them. But um, you know, got all the research in there and everything, making this case. And the overarching argument, which you've just referred to, is um, the culture of the exception. So mm -hmm. all four of these blogs have the culture of the exception in the subtitle, and then part one, two, three, and four. And what I what I came to understand, what I finally understood after after a number of years of of um, working in this field, especially in the last four to five years, where gender, gender nonconforming and trans and LGBTQ plus and uh, intersex, et cetera, how, as that has been advancing, um, I was just finally able to understand that the agenda that, that we all know, all of us in the field, all of us working with the science of the brain, we know that sexual dimorphism is the baseline um, that that male and female is the baseline, mm -hmm. male and female, that there is a male brain and there is a female brain. And that is controlled in utero. And that happens in utero and it's set up on the X, X and XY. So X and Y chromosomes set up all the stuff that happens in utero. And kids come out, not just with male bodies and female bodies uh, and reproductive organs, but they come out with male and female brains, right? So that's basically settled science. And, um, but, uh, at the same time, or and at the same time, we know there's a vast spectrum of what is a male brain and a vast spectrum of what is a female brain, right? There isn't one male and female brain, vast spectrum. So inside that spectrum, we know are some people who are going to be gender nonconforming. Some people are going to be trans. Um, some people are going to be le lesbian, gay, bisexual. Um, so LGBT and then, you know, uh, Q plus questioning, uh, gender nonconforming, and even some people are intersex. They're XXY, XYY. So we know this, but it doesn't change the fact that like a gay person is still male and a gay and a, and a lesbian is still female. So the male right. and female are not changed by this. And I, I'm trying to understand it. And even the trans person, the trans person is trying to move from male to female or if starting out female, female to male, because the brain operates so much more like that other sex. And so it goes through surgery in order to change from male to female or female to male, as famous people have done, right? Bruce Jenner has become Caitlyn Jenner. Mm -hmm. Caitlyn Jenner is now a she. Caitlyn Jenner is right. a female, 
Okay. So, so male and female, you know, are at the baseline of all of it. And so what I came to understand was, ah, so in this advocacy, what's happening is the, a culture of the exception is getting set up. And we do this with other things too, where something is exceptional and we find an, we find anecdotal cases of it and, and it's important. And then we say, so that's what the culture should be. Right. Mm -hmm. And we're having this with male, female, where people are saying, okay, because we want to support gender nonconforming trans, lesbian, gay, bisexual, we want to support them because they are people of dignity and they are, and they deserve protection and rights. Okay. So we want to support them. So what we're going to have to say is there is no male, female. (laughs) So the culture of the exception is going to become the rule. The exceptions that we don't think we're male or female, that's going to become the rule. And that's why note this as culture of the exception, part one, part two, part three, and analyzing not only all the stuff around sex and gender, um, around the fact that sex comes first, and then gender is a social construct that we put on later that we can talk about as gender nonconforming, but sex is still sex. Uh, Talking about why that's so important, it's important for doctors, it's important for therapists. Everyone needs to know if you're male or female. You know, Mm -hmm. if an ambulance picks you up, even if you have transitioned, your your those doctors, you know, if you go to the hospital, those doctors need to know how your genes are set up, male, female. Uh, so sex is actually everyone. And then gender nonconforming and experimentation with gender is exception, just like it actually was when you and I were growing up and we were, wore our hair long, like I wore my hair very long. I don't know if you mm-hmm. did. And I was like, I was going to become more female. I always wanted to be more feminine. Right. I was I was feminist kid. I'm going to be more feminine. I'm going to develop my feminine side. And I, I, all of it was great. I mean, I'm like, oh, I'm so glad I did that. I still knew, you know, that I was male and I wanted to become a man. And, and part of kind of the end point of all this, what, what worries me about people trying to erase male, female is it, it's not erasable. It's a bad war to fight because it's not going to happen. But also, um, then what do we, how do we mature our children? We lose a whole right. standard of maturation if we say, well, we're, there's no boy or girl anymore. Well, then what do boys become and what do girls become? You know, I think girls want to become women and mm-hmm. I think boys want to become men and they want to because it's built into them to mature into um, this uh, independent ideal that has certain advantages like becoming a woman when i hear people say we're going to talk about pregnant people not pregnant women or pregnant mothers i say the feminists should be up in arms because um that is utterly disempowering to women you know one of the one of the immense advantages that women have that they should always protect right is the ability to become pregnant carry a child and and uh, that's a female advantage and it should be protected so girls becoming women and boys becoming men is, actually is crucial to the health of a society. And that's why I'm trying to say, let the exceptions be exceptions. Let us love them, but we can't make them the rule. Yeah, it's it's very interesting. And it's it's uh, there's a lot there because it's it's so politically charged. Um, it's it started out as kind of an academic discussion. And then it begins to work its way down. Most people, I think, understand that boys are boys, girls are girls. And then there are people in between who are not less human. Um, You know, I don't even know if we want to use the word different, but they're they're just their wiring makes them who they are. Um, What you're trying to do is to say, no, the brain science helps us make sense of all of this and helps us treat everybody equally. 
mm-hmm. rather than trying to impose exceptions onto all of us and how dangerous it is to say, yeah, there is no such thing as a male. There's no such thing as a female and the trouble that that can get us into. And we're seeing some of that lived out right now with some of our, our kids, our teenagers uh, who are really wrestling with, well, can I be a male? Can I be a female? Or is there something wrong with me? Yeah. Yeah. We, that stuff has to end, you know, and I'm hoping these blogs help because it gives people language, gives parents language, gives teachers um, and, and other scientists, I hope, uh, language so that they can have the conversations and understand the core thing to help kids understand is that sex and gender are not the same thing. If right. you if you're 14 and you decide you want to explore a different gender identity. Right, which is the language that the child, uh, the young person will have, because five other girls. I mean, this is especially something that happens with girls. Four or five other girls, especially an alpha girl, has decided that she is gender nonconforming. So you know, a lot of the girls say, "Okay, I'm now gender nonconforming." Great, you're exploring identity, but it doesn't change that you're female or male. You're exploring identity. This is your gender mm-hmm. identity. You're exploring it. It's a social construct. You're saying to yourself, "Yeah, I want to do more of this that I consider male, and less of this that I consider female." Um, and so you're exploring identity as a child, but it does not change the way your brain's set up. And it does not change the fact that you need a developmental path. Um, you get to control some of that path because now Mm -hmm. you're a teen and you have some independence and, you know, I support you. Uh, the word is affirmation. I affirm you in saying that you're exploring your gender identity. I affirm that. And look, you know, at the same time, okay, don't be saying you're not female or male. You are female or male. And you're exploring a gender identity. They're not the same thing. If we can help kids understand that and help adults understand that, Mm -hmm. we will then have the best of both worlds because then the exceptions, you know, let's say um, uh, they will be well protected as a, as a, as a minority, as exceptions are. I tell the, I talk about being a Jew in these blogs and how I compare the LGBTQ right to, to the Jew and I, and, and I talk about America as a Christian country, right? There's only like 6 right. million Jews in the U.S. We are the exception, you know, but we are yeah. protected as a minority. We are protected. Similarly, LGBTQ plus will get protected by law and, and are protected by law. Um, uh, but it, sex is still sex, right? It's right. a gender exception we're protecting, um, et cetera. So, yeah, yeah, hopefully people will find the blogs useful. Really good stuff. And I'm sure that there are many other things that we could pick your brains on and uh, probably will in the course of the podcast to come. But thank you. This has really been interesting. A lot of stuff to think about. And parents, we hope it's been helpful for you as well. By the way, uh, we haven't said this for a long time, but if you're enjoying the Wonder Parenting Podcast, tell your friends about it and invite them to listen in. We've got all of these three years worth of evergreen podcasts, and they're still relevant. So what we said three years ago, still relevant today. Mm-hmm. And uh, we encourage you, if you haven't had a chance to listen to all of them, just go back, look at the library, and see what uh, piques your interest. So, Michael, thank you very, very much. Thank you, Tim. Thanks, everyone. Thanks, everyone. Make sure you go to wonderparenting.com or to Facebook and do a quick search of Wonder Parenting and join your Facebook group page. Thanks, everyone. Save big money now on new siding from LP Smart Side at Menards. Update and beautify your home with your choice of 13 timeless colors of pre-finished engineered siding. It's durable and includes a Sherwin-Williams factory finish paint warranty that means no painting for years to come. View our entire selection of siding from LP Smart Side today. And don't forget to check out our flyer on Menards.com for all the great deals happening now. Save big- 